teaching, a lot of people have been thrusted into teaching. Were, was that what happened to you or were you inspired to become a coach or teacher? So what was your first experience? I mean, what, what was the jumping off point for you to get into teaching? And we're recording now, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I guess this is a this is a, a strange, but not strange. It's a, uh, it's a strange year for me because in September it will mark. 40 years since I learned my first improv games in high school. And, and so that was, uh, that was in 1977. And that was before IO had even started. And Dell was out doing, you know, acid and witchcraft and stuff like that. And I just, like, I can't, I can't really remember the first time I taught um, so I guess the start of it is like DNA because, uh, my mom was a nursery school teacher and my father was a salesman and a football coach. And so ironically or conveniently, I was born with the DNA of kind of the two sensibilities and actually salesman's part of it too. I think, <laughs> uh, the three sensibilities that, that go into being a teacher and I've always, I'm also the oldest of five. And um, what that meant was at dinner parties, when we would all perform for the guests, I was always the director and uh, slash teacher in that. So maybe it started back um, wrangling my my siblings to stand on the long radiator by the by the dinner table and um, making sure that everybody got their points and did their solos when they were supposed to do their solos. So maybe it's I've been a teacher all my life. Um, I think the first, I guess I can, it seems to me that my first point where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm teaching and not just flying by the seat of my pants was in the early annoyance days. Um, when we moved to Broadway and I'm terrible with dates. Uh, so, we, so we were Metroform before we were annoyance and then uh, we were above IO and Cotton Chicago, and then we moved to our first annoyance, I think around 1989 or 90. Um, I was still doing stand up at the time, but I would watch Mick teach. And, um, and I would teach uh, for the, for the first, I quit doing stand up, I think, in 92 or 93. And I would te I would substitute teach, and I can't remember exactly who was teaching back then, but I would watch Mick, and it was kind of watching. So, so I think, um, you know, yeah, like one of the greatest happy accidents in life was just ending up in this improv group at, at IU with uh, I got uh, Mick and a guy named Dave McNerlin they put together, and because it was almost like being planted in the garden where the first ideas that sort of were formulating in Mick's head were happening and then put into practice as we rehearsed in, in college. And we did sketch in short form. Um, and we, you know, I don't think there was any long form yet, but then I had started to hear rumors of Dell by my junior or senior year, like 78, 79, 80. Uh, 
No, that's not right. Like uh, 80, 82, 83, 84-ish. Because I think, I think Dell came in like around 80 or 81. I think Sharna was with David Shepard till maybe 81, and then Dell came in in 81. And then I started hearing from people about Dell. Um, and I, I didn't know what long form was, but I knew what short form was. And um, we all read Impro by Keith Johnstone. And so we had a little bit of idea about narrative structure, but still we were performing in bars. We were doing a relatively new show each week. And the process of working with Mick and Mark Sutton and Eric Waddell and Faith Soloway and David Nerland, like all of these great people, our process was very much a living laboratory of how a lot of us that ended up uh, turning into teachers at the annoyance would, would embrace. And then as the annoyance opened up and Mick, started teaching classes, um, somehow in the early 90s, it came to pass that I would teach the level that would lead into Mick, which was like three or four or something. And, um, and so I would, I would watch Mick teach to see what he was up to. And really, it was um, uh, solidifying the point of view of annoyance in the early days, which is like, take care of yourself, take care of your own shit, don't drop your shit, that stuff. And also looking at myself, or looking for myself at what, were there any patterns or consistencies in the deficiencies that people tended to have in terms of them understanding what Mick was talking about? Um, you know, what tendencies were still showing up that maybe I could address before they got to Mick to just try to make Mick's life easier. Um, and so my beginning to teach was a combination of the college experience I had, um, substitute teaching different levels where there was different focuses, observing Mick, and then strategically uh, observing Mick, talking with Mick about how to what to focus on and um, how to set people up for the best experience with Mick that they could. So you were essentially creating that curriculum, the level before they get, you were creating the, cur the curriculum for the level right before they'd come and see Mick. Is that what you're? Yeah. Okay. So, I, so I, yeah, I think there was like, this could be completely wrong, but I think there would, there would be like a, a beginning intro level. And then there would be a second level where it's like, okay, now here's maybe like, let's say level one is characters and just basic yes and or improv or, and I think we were like, I think the whole thing started with like, fuck the rules. Here's, you know, here's the rules. Um, and all the shit that goes along with being in your twenties and, you know, uh, I mean, it was, it was rebellion and anarchy in the twenties. We're, we're smarter than anybody else. And your ego's in check because McNapier's there you know, by the grace of the universe. And um, I'm lucky enough to like work with, you know, mix every bit the genius that John Stone or Dell or uh, Augusto Boal or you know, whoever was. So, uh, so I think there was somewhere between learning scenes and then Mick, Mick's final level was, uh, was sort of a reinforcing a reinforcing what would, had already been taught, but also like forwarding through the scenes and what is the application of this mean? I guess my place came in, uh, what the annoyance I think originally was known for and is still known for is that we will give individual feedback. We won't just gloss over stuff. We won't fall back on stuff. It's like we give a shit 
and will take the chance of like trying to, for me, the process is um, living in your head as you're doing that and imagining what you're imagining at the point that's getting in your way. Um, and I had also at that point studied with Dell. Uh, I studied with Dell from like 85 to 88 before. So like I got to watch him teach. I studied with Sharna for half a year. Um, I had taken classes at Second City. So I had, I had had a, a, a wide range of approaches to improv. And I guess I had solidified, uh, I think my strengths are in empathy and um, sort of uh, understanding the individuals in the class, which was a gift that I credit my mom and dad for passing on to me. My mother was a great intuitive nursery school teacher and very kind-hearted and loving. My father was an intuitive football coach who knew, you know, who you needed a boot in the ass and, you know, who needed a pat on the shoulder. And I don't, I just think that's something that was in me and and that fit in terms of the feedback piece and giving a shit about people. And more times than not, I could guess right. And I think that started the foundation. And then, and that's when, like, shortly after that, I think in the late 90s, like, chat boards started and, and like, yesand.com started. And so then we would all start talking. But uh, I think I, I quickly came to believe, even before my stage of the annoyance closed, which was, like, 2000-ish, that uh, you can't really teach people to improvise. You can only teach people to get the shit that's not improv out of their way. And um, so when you and so when you say that, yeah. uh, I like to unpack that a little bit um, because the whole thing is that we all. I think I I'm gonna give you what I think you're saying, and then you can fix it. Uh, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> we all can improvise because we do it every day. What gets in our way is our fears or our egos or the this is how I was told to do it or this is what I think is right kind of stuff. So what I think you're saying is teaching people to unpackage all of that so that they can get back to what it is they already innately have inside of them. Is that? Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think, I think Mick is uh... – on record is saying it's uh, fear and laziness are the two things that get in improvisers ways. And, and so, um, and y you could tie laziness to fear, but I mean, I guess true laziness is devoid of fear. It's just like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm taking an improv class. I'm doing it. But I think it's, it's, um, uh, you know, as the annoyance grew and then, uh, <laughs> You know, everybody, I think like the, 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 te the first sort of wave of renowned teachers there were Mick, me, Mark Sutton, Susan Messing. Um, I think to a degree, Scott Robinson, I'm not, uh, uh, Rebecca Sohn, uh, and Rich Sohn, um, though they came a little bit later, but some people described it as, uh, uh, Mark would teach the biology, I would teach the psychology, and Mick would teach the physics. Um, and it's uh, and and it's I don't know who first said that, but I think that's pretty right. I think or it's at least an apt metaphor. And for me, 
you know, the annoyance was like the the island of misfit toys and there's all kinds of people who would in other places just be considered fucked up people, but we're all neurotic and, you know, it was a big, crazy-ass uh, artistic party where everyone, you know, the rule is you have to be a nice person. Right. And, and willing. And so for me, um, you know, in my 12 years with the annoyance was like the, like the greatest 12 years of my life and the worst 12 years of my life, you know, including, you know, some of the best stuff I've ever done and like being the worst person I've ever been. And, um, and that landed me, I did stand up to avoid therapy, but it, it only avoided <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but I think, you know, one thing that Dell, that Dell said is that, uh, psychotherapy, improvisation and psychedelic drugs were his three biggest, uh, uh, teachers. And so I've, you know, I've been through all of those and, and I found the, um, the therapy piece of it or the understanding, the psychology piece of it, uh, to really resonate because like I had to do that to get, to give myself some type of chance to just not be a complete self-destructive asshole. And, and so when you're saying like unpack it, yes, you're right. I'm sorry. This, uh, <laughs> thank God for editing. But, um, so the way that each of us unpacks it is, uh, is slightly different. Um, but I think, you know, even now, my teaching is at least one third informed by some of the stuff that I grew up with and my DNA and annoyance and Nick. And then two thirds, you know, following my own bliss. And um, for me, getting stuff out of the way means out of people's way or unpacking stuff means I'm I'm very highly empathic and I can I can see what's going on in your head and I might not know the specificity of it but I've had enough reps in the gym that I can that I've got a good idea and when I when I travel the world and teach in countries where I don't know the language I have them perform in their na native language and I know what's going on and and um and I don't need to know the specifics of the scene so I might miss some wordplay stuff but um on uh, like unpacking it to me uh uh, sounds like that takes too long. <laughs> so, um, and so for me, it's, uh, I care, I care and I will be with you and I will be in your head and I will be, you know, uh, I will be present with how you're present. How do you think your philosophy has, I mean, it's obviously changed because as we grow, we change. Uh, so how do you think it's changed? Do you think it's changed significantly or just, I guess what is your current philosophy and how has that changed over the years is a better question probably. I think the, I think it's changed and it hasn't changed. I think really what's changed is my ability to articulate <laughs> maybe what it is. And so my philosophy is I am, um, and, and, and some of this verbiage I, I steal or collaborate with David Rosowski on because our, we're both word nerds for getting, like what's the what's what's what what has to be said right now? So it is. Um, I am enough. I have everything that I need to help you, um, including what I don't have to help you. And uh, uh, I will be I will be present with you, and I will be in service to you. And nothing. Uh, I'm not thinking about. Like I, 
I guess I only quote unquote know that I'm a good teacher because other people say so, but I don't even like, I, this is what I do. And so my philosophy is I am present. I give a shit. Uh, I will bring everything that I have because it's here uh, in service of you in this moment and be responsive to what I'm picking up on. That's my philosophy, I would say. So I love the um, I am present and I am here because I, it's really important to me as a teacher that um, even if I've had the worst day outside, you, you, it, this is your time now. So I need to drop that shit and be with you in the class. Uh, for some people that I mean, we've all had bad teachers. Uh, they definitely haven't done that. Is there a way you're that you, something that you do for yourself to make sure that you do that when you step into the classroom? I think I've, I'm lucky because I've grown to the point where I don't have to consciously drop my shit. As soon as I show up in a classroom, I'm home. And, 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 and so it's automatic. It's like, like life is, uh, <laughs> to quote Jill Bernard, life is wonderful, but also very horrible. And when you're teaching or you're performing, you, you get to um, step out of the reality of the wonderful and horrible. And um, I'm just trained now to like kick in and I'm present and I'm here. And it's very, very rarely that there's even a smidge and a residue on me when I'm teaching or performing. Um, the other thing is I think the hallmark of a quote unquote bad improv teacher is a is a teacher that is concerning themselves with getting it right. And, and that's like in our, in our conversation leading up to this, I think, um, I think it's, it's understandable that that's a phase you have to go through when you, when you start teaching, which is getting it right. But, um, that doesn't, getting it right doesn't help you when you improvise. So why would it help you when you teach? And that's that, and that's that, um, you know, I don't know where this came from, but I've heard Mark Sutton say it more than anybody. Uh, it's you, you have to do the scene that is here, not the scene that you want to be here. You have to teach the class that is here, not the class you want to be here. You have to teach this moment that's here, not the moment that you want to be here. And for me personally, that's helpful because like every teacher, I, I, I will talk too much if I'm not mindful. So my meditation and practice is what's the least amount that I can say right now to give the most to this moment, including saying nothing. And that's, I'm still learning that I'm still learning and amazed sometimes where if I just say nothing, it's enough. It, it, it's the way that I'm there. It's enough because I can see that that person is in a process maybe looking back on a moment or I can see that that if I'm side coaching a scene and I can see that that person gets it and I can just go pause, go. I can, uh, it, it's almost always, it's 99% of the time. It's a better call to say less than say more. And, and it's, God, it's so, it's a joy as a teacher to see when you've said nothing and you've just given space and air and, breathing to that person to see them get it without you saying anything. I also know for myself, so, sometimes I get in my head about like, oh, I've given 
John a ton of feedback this week and I haven't given Shirley any. I better fix that, right? But that's not necessarily required either. Yeah, you know, I have a thing for that. It's um, <laughs> I'll tell students, and especially if I'm if I'm doing a um, a diagnostic weekend or a diagnostic day, um, I will say at the beginning of that, um, I will give some feedback that will be for everyone. And to varying degrees, it will be pertinent or useful right now. But I promise, even if you've been doing this for 20 years, I might just be, I might say something that's a reminder. And I'll also say, I will also give individuals feedback as I see it, but know that I, uh, I much prefer to give no feedback than bullshit feedback. And so what you won't get from me is bullshit. And if you don't get a personal note, it's because I don't have a personal note for you. Um, and, um, and sorry, not sorry. Um, but I'm, but I'm here and I care. And then I also, I'm, I'm also generous or stupid because I give out my email address to every class that I teach. And, and so a bunch of us do that, but that's, you know, it's like, this is my email address. If there's anything now you've had, if you've had me for one workshop, you're now my student forever. If you choose to be, and you can always send me an email you're not allowed to feel bad about sending me an email. Send me an email if there's any questions or if you need anything from me. Um, I will be back to you. And, and, and I, I used to say I'll be back to you right away, but now I say I'll be back to, to you within a couple of weeks. <laughs> because people take you up on it, which is awesome. And it's also, oh, my God, I'm an improv teacher. <laughs> yeah, it, right. Because I think that's, for those of us who the teaching is as much a part of who we are as the performing, that goes with the territory. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a typical class for you these days, because these days, well, what are you teaching these days? I know that you're, you travel a lot to do the workshops, but are you also consistently teaching in Chicago or are you just traveling? Yeah, no, I just, I just travel. So it's, uh, I've, the last place I taught was at IO and I taught, I taught level five before Noah for about five or six years and that I've been doing, I've been traveling. um, The international travel stuff started kicking in like in earnest about eight years ago. And so, you know, it's another thing, this whole thing, like, like, like accepting my age and it's like, Oh shit, you know, I'm about to be 55 years old this year. How the hell am I alive? And, like I'm one of I'm now oh god I'm one of the old guys. Yeah, you okay. you're the elder statesman, right? Like that's a whole yeah. other level of Yeah, that, and it's a responsibility. It's like how can I be an elder statesman when I'm this fucked up? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's the same thing. I'm like how am I a parent? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like oh my god, I like and I use it and being a parent, it's, you know, it's, it's, this, it's a little bit of the same thing where it's like, all I can do is try to be present and get it right today and still know that I'm, I'm fucking something up. I just might not know what it is. And, you know, there, my, my kid's going to either uh, end up in therapy or in comedy or both someday. And great. Right. right. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Mine are, uh, I feel like at least I'm fucking them up, but we're having a lot of fun doing it together. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's how I look at that. Yeah, uh. yeah. If I if I can just have her be 
uh, more fucked up because of the DNA I gave her than the the way I've socialized her, then okay, that, right. that's acceptable. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> so, so it's if, if if you're if you're a hereditary compulsive contrarian, that's in the gene pool. That's just generations. Uh, if I could help you soften, that's you know, right. That's that's fine. I've done my job. I'm sorry. What was yeah, the no, original so, question? So, <laughs> so that's fine. The so with the traveling and whatnot, do you? Um, does a typical? Do you have like a typical rhythm to your classes then these days? Like it, the elevator speech at the beginning into exercises, or or is it sort of? Yeah, it, it's uh, you know the answer to every improv question begins with it depends, um, and so typically what I'll do, um, I'd say seventy five percent of my travel is tying into festivals, um, and I currently have including formats I can teach. I believe it's 57 different workshops I can offer. So I accept that I can pretty much teach anything, and I accept that there's certain things I enjoy teaching more than others. So I, I usually start with, um, and, I, and I've just done this, uh, I've, I've just, I'm booked now into the fall, um, Here's five different headlines of things that I'm currently teaching or that I really love teaching, festival organizer. What other offerings do you have from other teachers that are coming there that I can harmonize with or give a different dynamic of a teaching presence to? Because I feel like, right or wrong, I feel like it's, it's incumbent upon me as one of the older teachers to, um, I have to presume that my workshops are going to be uh, not perfect, but I strive for excellence. And so if there's a younger teacher who's there teaching characters, and maybe it's their first, second, or third festival, then I'm not going to teach a character class because I want people to go and experience this teacher. Um, And so... In the last couple of years, I think uh, most festival organizers that I've, you know, that I'm working with again or that know of me, whatever, they know that I'll lay that out there. And some of them might be, no, we want you to do Power Improv Toolkit, which is kind of that's, you know, one of my diagnostics, uh, diagnostics, and uh, from what Mark Sutton and I have developed uh, that's evolved from the annoyance. And then we want you to teach the bat, or we want you to teach just focus on invocation or opening or the first 15 seconds of scenes or emotional listening or, you know, uh, sometimes they, they handpick and select. So usually my process is first in looking at the, the festival as sort of a holistic proposition and like, what's the most I can bring to this festival? What's the best I can bring to this festival? And then when I arrive there, a, oftentimes I forget what it is that I'm teaching and I'll tell the organizer, what am I teaching you again? <laughs> um, and I'm just like, I'm old. I, like, I sent you a description, so that means I know what it is. You just have to remind me what it is. Oh, my God. I'm like I'm turning into that old improv teacher. Um, but, but then it's, then it's um, you know, honestly, in the last year or two, uh, in the last even year, it's just about I've begun classes with like an awareness and acknowledgement of 
personal space and about gender bias, gender difference, who's comfortable with what, if my workshop's going to be more physical, if it's going to be more emotional, um, I'll do a, a comfort check in a comfort zone check-in. Uh, and you know, that's, that's the upgrade of the last year to year and a half where it's it. What made you switch to that or start integrating um, that? I think it's, because I'm a part of this community and when, um, when all the shockwaves hit, uh, this past year, like I felt, a, I just felt a personal, I feel a personal responsibility as a straight white man to, if I'm in service to my community, I'm especially in service to those voices that have either been marginalized or othered. And, um, as a performer, I can behave like a straight white man in a different way with a different awareness so I can give different responses that aren't of the typical responses, especially if, I, if I'm on stage with um, someone who, else who's not a straight white man. Um, so we can find, uh, I can give that person an opportunity to be in a scene where we can find different patterns, different types of hu uh, humor um, even if, like, I'm 6'5", 240, so I, I, I will often be, like, dad, authority figure, whatever. And I, and I, you know, Jill Bernard's, one of the greatest lessons I learned is, like, lose beautifully. And so, so it doesn't mean I have to lose right away, but how can I play the integrity of, a, like, a closed-minded, you know, patriarchal corporate, like, guy who gives a crack and then loses? But now how can I play characters that are, like, you know, older, straight, white guys who have an awareness that most older straight white guys don't have, but, but present that on stage as something that like, we all have this, right? We all know, um, uh, we all know that there's voices that are marginalized. We all know that there's, um, that there's been a patriarchal dominance in the evolution of our society around the, around the world. Of course we know that. And then also be focused on the bottom line, but give that, give that opening as an interpersonal offer in a scene to the woman, to the person of color, to the person uh, of other genderedness, so that they have that, uh, they have that that they can pull on in an interpersonal way while we're talking about um, you stole somebody's sandwich out of the refrigerator at work, right? right. Um, and and so that's uh, a, a huge thing for me this year is just like I've, I've taken on the idea that I'm personally not racist or sexist, but I'm institutionally racist and sexist. And, and I'm, I'm institutionally of white privilege, of white male privilege. And I think that's, that's an important thing for me to delineate because one, none of us is going to fucking change the shit show by ourselves. We all have to be I'm using the metaphor of um, Tim Robbins and Shawshank Redemption with a tiny chisel. We all have to be millions of people with tiny chisels working together in our own specialized area to create a better awareness to conquer the fear that is marginalizing and keeping voices down. As long as there's fear there and as long as the people that are in power, that are privileged, whatever – feel like they're going to lose something or they're coming out, you know, they're coming after that, this thing that you have, that's, it's not even tangible. Um, then, uh, when, when that exists, there's nothing we can do. So, so that is an awareness that I have and I don't have a planned speech, but I just look at the room 
And it's fascinating to do this in other countries where there's not even, you know, uh, talking about gender differences and gender biases in Italy, which is its own male culture, um, on the on the heels of everything that broke up. You know, I've, uh, and versus uh, even talking in England, you see the women like, and in and in Italy, the women uh, and and I, I nodded like, like a knowing. Uh, uh, for the podcast listeners, like it, it for the podcast listener, um, a lot of the women in England, like knowing, uh, knowing, yeah, we're ready to rise up. Yeah. This bullshit is bullshit, uh, essence to them. Whereas when I went to Italy and I started talking about these gender differences, the Italian women, uh, almost to a person were like, they don't give a fuck about how men treat them on stage because the Italian women look at men as boys. And it's like, you can make me your mom, make me your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. Of course you are. You're a boy. You're not even a man. This, but, but they double uh, how they could be incensed by being stare, uh, uh, pigeonholed into roles that maybe uh, women in America uh, might be in reaction to in a negative way, they double down with the injustice of men who run institutions and the power plays and the advancement and fucking their opportunities up in a bigger picture. Ooh, like that's even, uh, that, that group mind split was like really impactful. Um, and then you, and then I taught, uh, Jill Bernard and I went to, um, to Bulgaria and Romania and we taught over there and you're talking about Eastern European countries where this shit we're talking, we might as well have been speaking Klingon. So that's both like it's eye opening and it's, and it's like, I don't know how to do that speech or speak that awareness or walk that walk or whatever in Bulgaria. But I, all I know is it's in me and we just, like you just have to see and if that's a I know you have to talk with people to create change you can't talk at people and so everything starts with speaking with each other and you can't and it's bring a brick not a cathedral you can't you just you everything is about personal connection personal you know honoring and valuing and serving each other um tending to each other's dignity, um, sharing, sharing creation together and how that happens. I don't know, but I think it's gonna. So that's, that's what I walk in with. (laughs) Thanks for, thanks for the invitation for a giant essay to a simple question. I love it. I think that's great. And I think there's so many, there's so much, it's great that also, uh, and whether it's time or just innate ability or whatnot, that you, the ability to read that room when you walk in and, and just kind of know what the, the room needs. Um, or think you know. Is, because I'm, that's I'm true. just as likely to fuck it up too. And I'm just, it's like, right. if I fuck, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, you don't want to fuck up, but you're going to fuck up. Right. And the only way it's like, oh, fuck, I just fucked that up. Yeah, I just I think at this point for you that's probably less likely than, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So Yeah, yeah, it's less likely, but it's still it's still it's still possible. And I, in a way I I think I'm convinced that knowing that it's still possible and embracing it that I could fuck up at any moment helps me to not fuck up as much. 
because I'm not a, yeah. I'm not afraid to. And, you know, so much of my teaching life has been how do I help students get to how do how do I help students get to at a point when they're 30 years old, get to where I was when I was 45? How do I shrink time? How do I minimize experience? And it's and I don't know the answer. And I don't know if that's possible. either. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, donkey. I don't I don't know. Right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about some of that then when it goes in, because not all of this, we don't always get through. So have you ever had to ask a student to leave a class? Yes. Okay. So can we talk about that a little bit? There was, um, so part of it is, I don't know that I've ever had to ask a student to leave a class when I've just been teaching for myself. When I've taught at I.O. and when I've taught at Annoyance, then I've had to make a call in a moment, which I then go, you know, because I'm, I'm a part of an institution. And so I have to uphold, I have to make the call that I see. Um, and, um, and I think the one that sticks out is I was teaching an Annoyance class, and there was a kid who was, um, he had some... Uh, he had some some issues, just some anger issues, and and was imbalanced. And um, different things would trigger him into what I call like the Three Stooges behavior. <laughs> so like he wanted to like smack and push and whatever. And he just picked. There was one where it was just like right on the fucking line. And I trusted the kid that he was in a scene with, uh, who was smaller than him, but also like like. Uh, uh, had like kind of a wrestler's body and he's a smart kid. And I was, I had a closeness with this, this other kid and a trust where it's like, okay, let's see what this guy can do within the scene with this other guy. And, uh, the big kid pushes him once and, and within the scene as character and improviser came together, called him out and the kid doubled down. And then the other kid was like, listen, fucker. And I like jumped out of my chair and I stood there and I like let the exchange go. And this is where I think I relied on my experience being a bouncer on Rush Street more than an improv teacher. But I let it go and I like closed the distance and I said, okay, stop. Um, and I said, uh, I, I said, do you understand? Do you understand why he feels that way? Do you understand it's never okay to push somebody? It's never okay to physically violate somebody. And this was in the, this is probably early 2000s. Um, and, uh, and I said, uh, we had like an hour of class left and I, I wanted to connect with a kid who had, who had violated this other kid's space. And I could see that he was fuming. I could see that he was on a loop and he really wasn't receiving me. Um, and so I wanted just to acknowledge what had happened. I wanted to acknowledge the state of mind that he was in as I perceived it. And I wanted to um, invite him to take the rest of the, the class off so he could think about this and just and cool down and then um, talk to me after when I'm finished with the class in an hour. I'll meet you at a restaurant or something. Um, and I called, I called a break and I checked in with the other kid. 
and he, who like apologized to me. And I'm like, no, you know, that I, that was my bad. I should have stopped that earlier, but I trusted you. And this is how I learned as a teacher. And it, so it's all, um, I default, uh, that's me defaulting to my mother's nursery school brain while also being six, four, six, five, whatever. Right. Right. Um, then there's, uh, I, uh, I don't think I've had to in a long time because I think I've gotten pretty good at nipping, stopping nipping things in the bud. And um, because of some of my corporate work, um, recognizing where there's an opportunity for conflict resolution, negotiation, hearing both sides, shit like that in an improv context where you make everybody feel valued in their impulses, not as right or wrong, but in terms of what, where that came from. And then this is just, this is the thing I don't think ex you, you need experience in it. Um, uh, so it's been a long time since I've had to invite someone to leave, but uh, once again, there's my long answer to your short question. I have a tendency also to, it's weird. Like I can see it coming. Like I can see the top of a scene and I can see it coming. Like I know it's going to be coming, right? Like I can just see it as a teacher. I'm watching and I'm like, Oh, and then like you, like, do I let it play out and see if this person is ready to handle it yet or to stop it? And where I'm at as a teacher, I tend to pause it before I see it go down that. Cause I, I just really want them to have success so that, um, but sometimes I wonder like, Maybe they should be able to have that super failure moment, but then is that a failure on me as a teacher when I, you know, so it's like that fine line. It's a super fine line. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you don't know till you're there. And, and then the more things that you live and then the more, like, I think it's really important that teachers talk. I'm not, it's, I think it's great that teachers talk. It's like, I, I love having beers with other teachers at festivals. I love it. And it's like, this is my life. I love having this conversation and I pick up things and I learn things from everybody. Um, and everything that you learn, you have in your satchel there. And all that does for me is it reminds me that I'm just as likely to f be able to know what to do. And, um, and I'm not easily fearful. And if I'm, if I've, if I'm empathically attached to both people, Sometimes it depends on the people that are in the scene. And it's, you know, teaching's hard. <laughs> right, right. And I think there's a lot to go into it. So, like, right now you're doing workshops where people are not – the chances of, the, of you being their first teacher at a workshop at a festival are very low versus um, – uh, Yes, yeah. maybe? Yeah, there's some – there are some workshops I teach though that are all levels and it's always, it's not that uncommon for me to have uh, somebody who this is their first improv class and it's at a festival and they're with people, um, you know, and, and my adaptation to that is my, is I'll slide into the acting piece of it. Um, where we're like, um, I'll just do reps where I, I just get people paired off and it's, it's, I have like a whole basket of exercises that are kind of my shortcut around Meisner. So it's like emotion listening and eye contact and who's making the eye contact and who's inside and how are you receiving? What's the subtext and, and how do we notice things about each other? And, 
um, um, psych, uh, working together as these characters that you're developing to psychologically deconstruct this moment, what's going on with me, what's going on with you, what's going on with us, why is this, that can sometimes, A, it, it challenges people to have vocabulary, it challenges people to look deeper, and then it challenges people um, or it invites people based on what they're noticing that's in front of each other, whether it's perception or reality. If they're working together as a team, but still these characters, uh, all of a sudden they find their way back, they find their way to backstory or objective or want or whatever. Um, and that's like an active facilitation where I'm, I'm, everybody's doing this concurrently. And people that have never done an improv class before can do that. And if they're with a person who's an improviser, they will just mimic, they'll, they'll, they will mimic the type of feedback they're getting from the improviser. And if you've done improv for one year, you'll get where I'm going or you'll get where I'm leading you. And, and, if, and if, if we're connected and you've never done improv before and, and I make an offer that's honest right here, that person is invited to just be honest. And, and then once you get, oh, I can be honest, then it's, okay, now yes and. And now let's do an right. application. Right. What? But I think you're ready for JTS Right. Good. Do it. Uh, I think though that that's exactly it. Though in in some scenes, in some situations, as teachers, we have to take into account. Oh, this is. Like, especially if it's a scaled class. Oh, this is a level one. I want them to experience the joy of yes and and the agreement and being able to be in a three-minute scene without falling apart. That tells me how far to let them push versus, oh, this is an advanced build-your-own-forms class. These guys have been together for mm-hmm. a year. Uh, I think as a teacher, that's also just one of those things you do have to keep in mind. Of like, yeah, okay. and it's – especially if it's, a, if it's a beginning class and you want them to experience the joy, he puts in quote, quotation marks, I almost think – I almost think – the most important piece of that is you experiencing the joy. And that's where sometimes my lazy ass falls down as a beginning improv teacher. Cause for 10 or 15 years, I just was in the lazy habit of telling myself I'm a really bad beginning improv teacher, but really it's uh, my preference is to work with more advanced improvisers and get into the, you know, three dimensional chess. However, for me to be authentically present with the joy and the awe and the wonder of watching people's lights go on for the first time is something that I have to summon. And the people that are great beginning improv teachers, they're with that already. And, and it's, and you know, it's all part of my Irish self-loathing. It's like, I just need to fucking get over myself <laughs> and be joyful. But. Well, it's so funny because uh, there's something I always say though, there's something a little bit selfish uh, I feel, maybe, and maybe that's my mm. Jewish guilt, but I feel We're like cousins, there's something selfish. Jews and the Irish, right. and the Irish, your mom's my dad, your mom's my dad. Right. <laughs> Is that like, I selfishly will teach a level one or an intro to Harold because I get to watch them all experience it for the first time and I'm the one bringing it to them, right? And then if it's a character class where we're just slugging through it, I'm like, oh, I'm so bored yeah. of your bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so... If I know I'm going to teach a beginning class at a festival, which I'll sometimes do, I know there's exercises that I have that will be great, but I've forgotten that they'll be great. Because if you tried to lay this shit out to people that have been doing it even five years, they're like, really? We're going to all make a sandwich at the same time? And like every, we're going to have an emotion about every ingredient of the sandwich? And then what the fuck are you making me do? 
But if you do that with people, it's, you know, it's just, it's just um, like I'm thinking of Craig Euler right now. It's just like, I'm going to teach you to pretend better. We got to pretend good. <laughs> it's that, it's that silly, it is exciting for people and I forget, you know. Do you define, have you ever defined students as, some people won't define a student as difficult because they feel that's a failure on them, but do you ever think there is a thing as a difficult student? And if so, what is that student? <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think people are difficult. Every one of us. And, and it's, um, um, and it, it, people are difficult if you want something from them. But people are not difficult if you want to give something to them. And, it, and if you can accept that sometimes they don't want to have what you give. Uh, and if you can accept that sometimes uh, uh, you, don't, you just want to lead them somewhere and they don't want to be led. Um, but the, the key to this is something I learned from a corporate facilitator, improviser, named Amy Goldfarb. She's in Boston. She's brilliant. Any, anything that anyone is sitting with at, in my class is completely welcome. Anything that you're feeling or thinking right now as we begin this class or as we go through class is completely welcome. Um, your, your, your love, your excitement, your fear, your joy, your hate, your loathing, your impatience, your uh, intolerance, anything that you're feeling is welcome. And if you start there, you know, that's a little bit of that. It ties into the Rizowski lesson of acceptance. But if you start there, then you're not putting yourself in a position to view a student as difficult. And, and I, can, I can say that this is a, it's a piece of advice that might not work for every teacher, but for me it works. And, that's, and both with corporate people teaching, you know, high-level corporate programs, uh, mixed-level corporate programs, all cor improv corporate programs, or improv around the world, whatever you have here is welcome. Um, and if, and I'll ex that is something that I will usually express. I'll always express if I'm in another country. Um, but that has never not served me to express that. So I would think that also then helps either minimize or deal with students who are super resistant to feedback, mm -hmm. who love to push back. Because if that's welcome, then 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 that resistance may not rear its head as often. Sure, and psychologically, resistance, resistance offered expects resistance back on a, at least a subliminal level. Um, challenge expects challenge. I mean, just look at fucking Facebook feeds. You know, negativity expects negativity because there's, because there's chemicals that are released in that, you know, some people love to battle and love to fight and love competition and love chasing a number. They don't love selling, they love chasing a number. It's, it's adrenaline and serotonin and, you know, neurotransmitter surge because, uh, um, and so if, if you give resistance acceptance, then that at least gives you, that at least gives you the opportunity to observe what's going on in a conditional way rather than a declarative way. So you can, 
um, offer curiosity to the person who's offering resistance to help you understand. And even if it's if it seems like it's a waste of time for everybody else in the class, that's your opportunity to model a different response in the face of um, hopefully a response that everybody else in the class is like, oh, fuck, why don't this person shut up? Well, then now it's on me. Here's an opportunity, and it might not work, but here's an opportunity for me to show you all how to, how to uh, here's another option you may wield if you choose. Right, right, which also then helps them be better on stage. And it helps them if they, if they get into an argument scene or if they're like in their first two years of improv and they get into an argument scene or they get into one of those scenes where they're just, you know, butting heads over a fucking what, yeah, whatever. There's, that's one example of how there's something, there can be something different there how how curiosity is your friend um or can be if if uh, if you are wielding it yeah there's a lot of ways to use curiosity you know that that could be very beneficial what uh what what kind of advice do you have for people who think they want to go into teaching I guess the first question I would say is, are you a teacher? <laughs> like in your heart, are you a teacher? And why do you want to teach? And there's no, there's no true reason. I say that from the bias of I've always been a teacher even before I knew I was a teacher. I've always been an entertainer even before I knew I was an entertainer. Um, and it's fine to, to coach a team because um, – you 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 want to try it, and it's fifty bucks every time you run a rehearsal, and it's fine to teach because you want to try teaching, um, so that you can learn that you're not a teacher, um, and uh, and you'll you'll I think people know within their first class if if something in there is a teacher or not. Um, and the other, like for, for teachers, there's a saying like in the corporate world, uh, the leader's job is to, to teach the next leaders. I also believe the teacher's job is to teach the next teachers, is to train the next teachers. And so for those of us that have been, like I love the proposition that even if I don't know who it is, I, there's always something in my mind where somebody in here is a teacher and they don't realize they're a teacher yet and the way that I'm doing this can also be in service to them that uh, that makes me feel good even if I feel like ah I didn't teach the best class that day yeah and it's I mean I'm to the point where it's like I I get to do what I love to do and every penny I make I make doing something that I love to do and my doing what I love to do has now given me in these last six or seven or eight years the chance to travel the world. And the reason I get to travel the world is to do what I love to do. It's like, I fucking made it, you know? And in the, like, you know, in, uh, January and February are always like tight money months for me because December, January kind of suck. But it's like, like when I'm, when I'm looking at that bill and it's just like, oh, I'm going to let that go two months before I, you know, pay the cable bill and why the fuck am I getting cable? Whatever. It's like, once I started getting back in the road again, like in March, it's like, I'm, 
you know, I'm not rich, I'm not poor, but I'm doing what I get to do. And, and, and that's, and, and every time I go someplace else new, it's just like, like, uh, like euphoria explosion. All right. What, any final thoughts for anybody out there, I guess? Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I, I have a, I have a teaching page on Facebook. Um, it's Joe Bill teaches exclamation point. Um, and I'll, I can send you some of the other stuff. Uh, I, you know, I, like, I, I love helping teachers. I, I love helping other teachers. I love, um, you know, I'm not as active as much online anymore as maybe I'd like to be, but, um, I just, we, we just are going live and announcing today I'm going to be in Austin, Texas, the uh, first weekend in March, and I'm, te I'm teaching a um, separate and combined intensive weekend down there with Hideout Theater, uh, and so that's, and I'll have a couple uh, of new offerings that's going to be, uh, like, I'm totally psyched, and I love that community down there, um, and I just think, yeah, for, uh, if it's, if it's teacher's uh, there's like there's there's I really love the um the 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 teaching groups on Facebook and the international traveling groups on Facebook, so that if anybody's like thinking about teaching or, um, uh, you know, continuing to teach, it's just like I I just really I love it when teachers get together and support each other and riff ideas and trade ideas or try this exercise or try that exercise. It's like. Um, everything that we teach is like an offer to other people to also teach and make your own. Just like um, when we improvise, we, like Jill Bernard says, like we steal little pieces of everybody's brain that we ever improvise with. And sometimes you're in a scene and you're surprised when that, that person just shows up in your scene. It's the same thing with teaching. It's, um, it's really great that we can, it's great for other teachers to talk and to, um, to join in the collaboration of uh, here, we're just all after the same thing, which is getting people out of their own way. And, you know, if you're doing it to be right, or if you're doing it to take credit for an exercise that you invented, you didn't invent that exercise. And you're probably not right as you want to be. So just relax and be present and be in service. And I'll see you in the teacher's lounge for a drink. That sounds like a good cap, right?